You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning, Grace, and welcome to Grace Online. We're excited to have you join us today. Uh, My name is Sean, for those of you who haven't got a chance to meet, and I am one of the elders and one of the preachers here at Grace. And I just want to say welcome. Glad you're joining us today. I also want to say happy Independence Day. I hope you had a safe and um, fun Fourth of July with your family or friends or whoever you got together with. And we have a few Canadians in our our congregation. And for those, I want to say happy uh, Canada Day to you as well. Uh, It's been a while since I've preached. Uh, The last time that I preached uh, was all the way back in the uh, middle of March, and it was actually the first Sunday that we were not meeting together as a church family. And I honestly never thought in a million years that we would still not be meeting um, by the next time I preached now in early July. But here we are. My hope is that uh, soon, before too long, hopefully, we can begin uh, meeting again. And so um, that's our hope. Uh, My family and I uh, took a road trip um, back in 2008, and this was the uh, year right before I came to Grace. And uh, we took this road trip. We headed off east. We went out to uh, Yellowstone and then on east farther out to Mount Rushmore. And by the end of the uh, time, we circled back down and came down into southern Oregon. And that's where we were hanging out with my aunt and uncle. We spent five or six days with them. It was a wonderful time. Uh, but at the end of our road trip, and we had been on the road for like three weeks, uh, we were ready to get home. We were tired and exhausted and just honestly just ready to get home. And so that morning that it was time to leave, it was a beautiful sunny day. We uh, loaded the car, we got piled in the car, we said our goodbyes to them, and we got on the road. Well, not too much farther up I-5 in our journey, um, traffic kind of started to get a little bit congested. And before too long, we were at a complete stop on the freeway, and we're like, what's happening? What's going on? Um, We waited and we waited and we waited some more. And eventually we started moving again a little bit more, but we only were moving, we realized, because people were being detoured to actually get off of I-5. And so we had to exit the freeway off of an exit we'd never been off of and in a place we never we never really planned on being. And honestly, and we were frustrated. We were exhausted. We were tired. Uh, it was hot. And everybody in the family, myself included, at some point started to complain. Um, it was just a frustrating day. What took or should have taken four and a half or five hours ended up taking like 12 hours for uh, this, this last part of our trip. It was just really an exhausting day. Well, the nation of Israel, we've been journeying with them through this um, series called Numbers, Life in the Desert. And today in the story we're going to look at, they are on a uh, detour as well. Now, a little backstory about the detour. The reason they found themselves on this detour was because they wanted to travel through this land that was occupied by a group called the Edomites. Now, the Edomites were descendants of Jacob's brother Esau. And if you know anything about Jacob and Esau, they had been kind of fighting from from the womb. They were twin boys. And these nations didn't really like each other much. And so when the nation of Israel came to the Edomites' territory, they wanted to go through the land because it was a faster route to where they were going. And so they asked the Edomites, hey, can we we travel through your land? We're not going to touch anything. We just want to get through the land. And the Edomites said, absolutely not. You're not going through here. This is our land. You're not going through it. In fact, they were so opposed to them coming through the land that the Edomites began to bring out their military and start doing all this military posturing. And so the nation of Israel, they had no choice. They had to, they had to move around um, a different way. And so 
That's where we find uh, them in today is this detour that they didn't expect to be on in this desert. Last week, uh, Jade said this. He said that the nation of Israel, um, for them, tensions were already running high. And that is true. I think tensions were already high. And now they're on a detour they didn't plan on being on. And so I think tensions are even higher for them. Jay also talked about that uh, faith is about trusting and obeying God's word, of trusting and obeying God. And that's 100% true. And so today what I want to do is, as we look at this story, we're going to be in Numbers 21. As we look at this story, I want to drill down on what does it mean to trust God? Just take a little bit deeper look about what does that mean when we're trusting God? How does that look for our lives? And so bow your heads with me. Let's pray. And, um, and then we'll move into our story here. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to connect together, even though it is uh, virtually and we're not in person. Um, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would um, just fill me now. I pray, God, that I would speak the words that you want me to speak. I pray that I would preach the words you want me to uh, preach. And I pray, Father, that your Spirit would work um, not only in my life, but also in the life of everybody who's watching or listening to this sermon. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. And I just pray, God, for our time this morning that, God, uh, we would would leave changed because of you. We love you. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are in, as I said, Numbers um, chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 9. And we're going to just work our way through as we go here. So take a look what it says. Verse 4. It says, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. So the people, they're right away impatient again, and they're grumbling again against God and against Moses. And and I think that when we think about detours in life and how frustrating they can be, I can kind of understand how they got there and how they were that way. Um, but they were stressed out and life just wasn't going the way they wanted. And so instead of focusing on God and all of his goodness and all of the amazing things he had done, all they can see is the things that they don't have. And so they're frustrated and they're grumbling against God. It reminds me a little bit of, of the story that Gary Brashears told a, a couple weeks ago about saving money and taking his kids on this great vacation down to San Diego, where they got to, to do all kinds of cool things, um, stay in hotels, eat at restaurants, see a bunch of really cool stuff. And on the last day that they were there, um, Gary's son wanted a Coke. And Gary said no, because they were getting ready to get on the road and there wasn't a lot of places to stop to use the bathroom along the way, and they just wanted to get home. So he told his son no, and his son right there on vacation in the midst of all of this great stuff that mom and dad had provided, it sounds like had just a total meltdown. And man, I felt, I felt for Gary and his wife when he told that story because I've been there myself. I've, I've experienced things like that myself. But that's a little bit what the nation of Israel is doing here, right? I mean, they have been um, delivered out of slavery from the Egyptians, They had seen God do all kinds of miracles um, beginning in Egypt and then after that moving out all the way through now. They had seen his hand provide them with food and with protection and with water and with guidance. Remember they had the cloud uh, during the day and the fire at night to guide them as they went. Um, And it's easy to to think, I think, what's wrong with these people? Um, But then I start thinking about my own life and I recognize, man, there's parts of me that's just like them. When things don't go my way, I begin, I begin to grumble and I begin to get impatient. And so the first thing that I see here that trusting God means is actually something that they're not doing. The first thing I see that trusting God means is being patient in waiting on the Lord. 
because the Israelites, they were repeatedly impatient. So how are you doing today? In this season that you're in, what is the response of your heart and of your, your spirit to God in the season that we're in, in this detour that you're on? Whatever's going on in your life, whatever the stressors are, whatever the disappointments are, whatever the frustrations are, and those are legitimate frustrations and disappointments for sure, but what's the posture of your heart toward God? Are you grumbling? Are you frustrating? Are frustrated with him and focusing on all the things that you feel like he's holding out on you for and hasn't done for you? Or are you grateful and are you patient and waiting on the Lord? Because trusting God is about being patient and waiting for him. And also when we grumble against God and when we don't trust him, there may be discipline. Take a look at what it says happens to the Israelites. Verse six, it says, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. All right, <laughs> I can't think of anything more horrifying than this, right? I don't like snakes. I don't wanna be around a snake. I don't care if it's a little snake that's non-venomous. I don't wanna be around it. Now, fortunately, I've never ever been bit by a snake ever, um, but I have been bit by this. Uh, this picture makes me laugh. Um, this demon squirrel um, is, is so scary to me. Um, I was a kid, we, my friends and I, uh, my brother and a friend of mine and I uh, were on this, uh, at this place called Bagby Hot Springs. We had gone there with my parents and we were really bored. We didn't want to do what, whatever it was they were doing. And so we started feeding the squirrels that were around, just throwing them like crackers and, and nuts and things like that that we had. And eventually we got them to come closer and closer and closer. And uh, my friend said, hey, don't, don't feed that one. It tried to bite me. And I'm like, ah, whatever. We've been feeding these things for a while here. This is, this is no big deal. And so I had my hand out and I got the squirrel to come and sit on my hand. And he was eating out of, literally eating out of my hand. And um, we thought it was great. We thought it was hilarious. Well, he started smelling around on my fingers, which honestly, it sort of tickled a little bit at first. The next thing I know, this thing clamps down on my finger and I pick my hand up and it's literally hanging off of my hand and I'm shaking it and freaking out, trying to get this thing off of me. My brother and his friend, uh, man, they were laughing so hard. I'm bleeding all over the place. They thought it was hilarious and I was horrified. But I gotta tell you, if I have a choice between being bit by a garter snake or that demon squirrel at Bagby Hot Springs, I will take the demon squirrel because that's how much I hate snakes. And I can't imagine what the, the nation of Israel uh, was feeling because not only are there snakes there, they're being bitten by them. And friends, the snakes were killing some people. And I think the most troubling part of all of this is that those snakes were sent there by the Lord himself. Now, a couple of things I wanna say about this, because like I said, this is troubling. It is no small thing to insult the God of the universe, especially when we do it repeatedly. And that's what the nation of Israel had done. They had grumbled against God again and again and again and again. The second thing I wanna say about this is that discipline from the Lord is serious and it's real. And I think sometimes uh, we want to minimize or ignore the fact that, that discipline from the Lord is a reality in our lives. And it's a good thing um, for the Israelites because they eventually recognized uh, what they had done wrong. Look what it says in verse seven. It says, the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. And so they finally recognized what they did wrong. And, and I think that's the second thing that I see here. Trusting God uh, means acknowledging when we sin and then seeking forgiveness um, for that. The Apostle Paul 
writes about uh, discipline of the Lord. Um, Look what he says in Romans chapter two, starting in verse four. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Think about that for a second. The nation of Israel was showing contempt for God. He had kindness, he had forbearance, and he had patience with them, and they were showing contempt for that. God had set them free. He provided for them. He protected them. He had guided them. He was leading them into a promised land. And instead of all of those kindnesses leading them to uh, devotion and honor and, and wanting to love and serve and follow this God wholeheartedly, man, they focused on what they felt like God hadn't done for them. And they grumbled against him. And we see that in kind of all of these stories we looked at through the course of this whole number series. Jay mentioned this last week um, that Paul talks about this also in 1 Corinthians 10, and he teaches us from these very stories because he doesn't want us to end up in the same spot. God wants us to repent and acknowledge when we sin and that we need his help and ask forgiveness because it brings him glory, but it's also good for us. It brings good in our lives and it brings joy in our lives. Now, I think God's kindness um, as leads us to repentance, I think that can look a couple of ways because sometimes I think that his kindness to us are things that actually feel good. They're in his patience with us, his provision. Uh, maybe it's sending a close friend to be with us that can speak gracious words over us. Um, maybe it's, it's, it's just having some wonderful quiet time with the Lord and that, that can be a wonderful thing. Um, God puts people in our lives around us. He have the family of God. The people had each other. They also had a gifted and incredible leader in Moses. We have the church. We have a church family. Uh, we have family members. We have great church leaders and pastors and elders. So we have all kinds of help around us. All of these great things, all of these kindnesses that are in our lives to help lead us into repentance when we sin. But I think sometimes after repeated and escalating offenses, Sometimes if there are patterns in our life where we persistently ignore, the, the God, ignore God's word and ignore him, then his kindness actually can look like a very harsh discipline, like sending snakes to bite people. Now, I don't, I, I've never seen that in, in our day and age. I've never seen the Lord send snakes to bite people. But it could look like something, um, like perhaps you're experiencing disease or illness or financial troubles. Now, I want to be very, very clear, so please hear me on this point. I am not saying that every bad thing that happens to you or to me is a discipline of the Lord. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. God is not the only force at work. We have Satan working and active in our world, and he brings calamity and, and disaster in all kinds of ways in all kinds of people's lives. And so I am not saying that anything that goes wrong in our life is a discipline of the Lord. Um, we also have a broken world that's been marred by sin. And so consequently, bad things happen. Disease, illness, um, hard times, all of those kinds of things happen. But what I am saying is that sometimes we ignore the reality that God disciplines us. And when he does so, it's ultimately for our own good. So I want to look at um, a couple of verses here in, in Hebrews um, that talk about the discipline of the Lord. This is Hebrews 12. Starting in verse five, he says this, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Now, I wanna stop for a second. Um, if you'll remember with me back in our Galatians series, um, this word son here is very important. Um, ladies, this is not excluding you. 
Um, because like we learned about in Galatians, it's super important, that idea of being adopted into sonship, because in biblical times, um, ladies had very few rights. They had no rights to inheritance, no rights to sort of the family in that way. And so what, what these words are talking about is that idea of sonship. And so it's important that we think about ourselves as um, in, in being adopted into sonship, whether we're women or men, because that means we have full access to God as father. And that's what this is talking about. He goes on here. He says, it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as son. He goes on in verse 10, he says, God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Friends, sometimes the discipline of the Lord is gentle and kind and feels good. And sometimes, friends, the discipline of the Lord is harsh, but it is also kind, even if it doesn't feel good, because ultimately it's for our own good. It's to lead us into repentance. It's to lead us back into relationship with God. But that can be difficult sometimes. And so I want to ask you this morning, what patterns of sin in your life do you need to be repenting of today? The patterns of Israel Man, they were not trusting God. They were grumbling. They were complaining. They were repeatedly doing the same things over and over and over again. So what is it for you this morning? Maybe for you, it's pride. Maybe for you, you, you hold on to this, this great pride in you, so much so that it's affecting not only your relationship with God, but it's affecting your relationships with other people around you. Maybe for you, it's lust. Maybe for you, you've had a long pattern of, of being... Um, unwilling or, or unable you felt like to resist the temptations that are put before you. And so you find yourself clicking on websites and things that, that you know you have no business being on. Maybe for you it's idolatry. Maybe you're putting your hope and your faith and your trust in something besides God. You can fill in the blank, money, uh, food, sex. There's, there's all kinds of things that could go in the blank there that we turn to for comfort, that we turn to for hope. My friends, I have been praying for you specifically all week long. I have been praying that God's word would come alive to you right now, that his spirit would work in your life in such a way that my words would be God's words through me for you. And that maybe today would be the first day or the first day in a long time where you're finally able to take a stand on something and say, no more. I'm not going to sin like that anymore. I'm going to get help. I'm going to confess. I'm going to acknowledge my need for God's forgiveness and I'm going to seek repentance. Will you do that today? Will you repent? Will you trust God and acknowledge that you need his forgiveness? And remember, friends, we don't do this alone. If you need help, let us know. Um, get a hold of one of us. Email us. Give us a call. We want to be helpful for you. But get some help. We don't do it alone. The nation of Israel had Moses as their leader. Look at what Moses' response was. They asked him to pray. It says, pray that the Lord will take away the snakes from us, or take away the snakes. I'll try it again. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prays for the people. And that's the third thing that I see us doing um, if we're trusting God, is praying to God on behalf of people. Is that something you're consistently doing? 
You consistently pray for the people around you that you love, your family, your friends, um, your neighbors, people that you enjoy. This is something that is growing, um, growing in in my own heart and life. Um, I have been praying um, for my kids since before they were born. Many, many of you have done the same thing for your own kids. It's a good and holy thing to do. And throughout their lives, I have prayed that, that the Lord would work in their lives, that they would experience the spirit of God in their lives, that they would be protected from the evil one. I've been praying that they would serve and love and follow him with all that they are at whatever stage of life they're in. And both of my kids came to the Lord at a fairly young age. But I'll tell you this, over the last five to seven years or so, my kids are now young adults. And over the last five to seven years, and let me say this as well, I talked to both of them, they both know I'm talking about them this morning, so um, we have permission. But over the last five to seven years in their life, man, there has been seasons and times where I have been worried, very, very worried about both of my kids for various reasons. And there were seasons that felt like eternities to me where I didn't seem to see the Spirit of God working in their life. I couldn't see what he was doing. And it was troubling. It was very discouraging. And I remember one night I was praying and I felt like God um, specifically said to me, it almost was audible. He said, Sean, are you going to trust me with your kids or not? And I said, Dad, I want to. I want to trust you. I, I want to believe that you're working here, but I just can't see it. God, help me trust you. And he did, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, through more prayers and through more tears and through more difficulties, but also joys and successes. And friends, I can tell you today, I see the Lord working in both of my kids. Both my kids are seeking the Lord. They both want him in their life. They both want to experience his goodness and his provision and his direction in their lives. And I'm so, so, so thankful for that. But some of you have been praying for loved ones for many, many, many years, and it seems like nothing is happening. It seems like, like God, where are you? What's, what's going on? My encouragement is to keep on praying because prayer, it brings us closer to God it helps us to hear and understand and see his heart. And it also helps us to trust him more, not only with our own lives, but also with our family members' lives. And there is no better place that we can put our family and friends and loved ones in than in the arms of the father, because he's a good, good daddy. But we're also called not just to pray for those that we love, are we? Uh, we're commanded inside of scripture. It's not even a suggestion, it's a command. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 44, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this is hard. This is much, much harder than praying for those we love. So who's your enemy? Is it that irritating uh, colleague who's just always so frustrating to deal with at work? Is it that annoying neighbor down the street? Maybe for you, it's, it's you've got a jerk boss that just is always on your case and, and you just can't ever please them and you don't know how to and you don't know what to do about it. Are you praying for them? Maybe it's farther out. Maybe it's people we've never met. Maybe it's a government official who you disagree with and you didn't vote for. Friends, we are in an election season, in an election year, and one of two men will be elected as the next president of the United States of America here in November. 
My question for you is, will you commit to praying for and honoring that person, regardless of who it is, as we're commanded to in 1 Timothy and 1 Peter? Because part of trusting God means praying to God on behalf of people. And friends, those people who are in leadership, in government, at all levels, they need your prayers. Desperately, they need your prayers, whether they acknowledge that or not. So will you pray for them? And will you honor them? Sometimes, though, our enemies are a little bit closer to home. Sometimes our enemies might be a family member, a parent, a child, a sibling. Sometimes they might even be your own spouse or maybe your ex-spouse. Friends, we are called to be a people of prayer. We're called to be like Moses and pray to God on behalf of people. And trusting God means doing that and watching him work in our life and in theirs. And so are you praying? Moses did. Take a look at God's response. Verse 8, The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, this is weird and it's troubling for me on um, multiple levels. Uh, number one, the nation of Israel had been given the Ten Commandments by God through Moses for them to, to work and to live in their lives. If you'll remember with me, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, this is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Look at the next one, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So it's troubling to me because it seems like what God has told Moses to do is to make an image of something that lives on the earth and elevate it on a pole and have people look at it, almost like worshiping it. So it's very confusing to me that God would make this um, the cure, that God would tell Moses to do this to help the people that have been bitten. It's also troubling because Satan, from the beginning of Scripture, is, is referred to as a serpent. In the Garden of Eden, he's referred to as the serpent. And so it's just really, really weird to me. Now, I love the Bible. I love Scripture. And one of the things that I love so much about it is it helps us to understand other parts of the Bible. It helps us to understand itself. And in John 3... Jesus is teaching this religious leader. His name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee, so he was an expert in the law. He was very familiar with all of the stories we, we had just been looking through and studying through. And I know that he would have known this story as well. And so he's talking to Jesus and he says, um, basically, how can I be saved? Like, what, do, what does a person have to do to be saved? Look what Jesus says to him in John chapter 3, starting in verse 13. He says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. This Son of Man that he's talking about is Jesus himself. He continues verse 14. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so that the Son of Man may so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so we saw this snake um, that, that Moses was told to lift up. And now Jesus is basically saying, just like that snake being lifted up, I also have to be lifted up. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians helps us understand a little bit more of this. Galatians 3.13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. So what we have is, 
We have Satan who is in the Garden of Eden and he is a serpent. And after Adam and Eve sinned, God curses him. And so the Satan, Satan the serpent is cursed by God. And then what we have in our story today in Numbers 21 is we have snakes and um, they're biting people. And Moses has made a snake image and lifted it up on a pole, representing the curse that was sent by God of the snakes biting the people. And now what we have is Jesus himself saying, I have become a curse for you by being lifted up on a pole, the cross of Christ, so that I could be a sacrifice for your life. It's incredible. It's incredible the things, the connections that Jesus makes for us and that scripture makes for us. Life in the desert is tough. Um, life on a door detour is also really, really tough. And it feels like as a nation um, in America, but also as a local community, that we are both in a desert and on a detour that most of us never saw coming. We have COVID-19 ravaging the whole globe, right? Every place all around the world, people are sick and getting sick. And our numbers are going up. People are getting sick um, in, in greater rates, although our death rates are staying down for now, which is very encouraging. But people are sick. We have a political season that has gone crazy and there's warring factions all around on that. We also have racial and social and cultural unrest. And if that wasn't all enough, we also have an economy that's been totally sidetracked and totally like, you know, arrested because of what's gone on here. It's overwhelming. It's scary. Um, sometimes I felt angry. I felt sad. I felt unsure about the future. And it feels like everyone in the world, everyone is looking for a cure, not just for COVID. They're looking for a cure to the warring political parties. They're looking for a cure to the social and racial and cultural unrest. They're looking for a cure to the bad economics that are going on. The problem is they're looking for it in the wrong places because they're trying to find it in better education. They're trying to find it in the right politician getting in office. They're trying to find it in the right policies and the right laws that can be made by, by our politicians and by our political system. Now, those things aren't bad in and of themselves, and I'm certainly not arguing for us to be apolitical. Please pray. Please vote. Please have conversations with your Bible open and being sensitive to the Spirit working in your life. Please do those things. But none of these things, education, politics, laws, none of them on their own will ever save. And the reason why is because the problems that exist in the world exist because of us. Because of outside of Christ, all of us are sinful. All, every single one of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinful and selfish and prideful. And we are hungry for strength and power and, and to, to, to rule over people. But we're also hungry for hope and something in the future. And so that brings us to my final point. Trusting God means trusting his remedy, whatever he says it is. The remedy that he gave for the nation of Israel from the snake bites didn't seem to make a lot of sense. And for some of us, for some of you listening right now, the idea of putting your faith in Jesus, who is our curse, who was hung on a cross, um, and that's the way that that's the remedy, that's what will bring me healing, that's what will bring healing to our culture, it seems kind of odd to some of you. But that's what God says. And so trusting him means trusting in his remedy, whatever he says. Because if we have hope, if we do have any kind of hope for peace in our nation between the races and the political parties and the genders and whatever else it is that divides us, 
if we ever have hope for peace in our own homes, within our own families, and maybe even a little bit deeper and most crucially, if we ever can look to have hope and peace inside of our own hearts and our own spirits and inside of our own minds, then we must look to Jesus who is lifted on a pole, becoming our curse, because then we will truly find hope. Then we have a future that is secure. Because friends, it is only through reconciliation with God first that we can ever expect to be reconciled to our fellow people that we live on this globe with. Like Jay said uh, last week, Jesus is our rock. And that brings us to communion. It's why we celebrate communion. Celebrating communion is basically, it's just a reminder of, of all that Jesus did when he lived on the earth. It's, it's celebrating his perfect sinless life, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension into heaven where he's sitting right now at the right hand of the Father ruling and reigning. And he also sent his spirit to dwell in our hearts and lives and to teach us and to show us how to love God and to love others well. It's celebrating and remembering all of those things. It's also remembering and reminding ourselves that God is still at work right now in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of, of unrest, in the midst of all of these crazy times, God is still at work because he promised us that he would be and he shows us that he is. But it's also looking forward to, communion is also looking forward to one day where, where Jesus will return for us, that great and glorious day. It's gonna be incredible. Take a look at the words, or I'll just read them for you here, the words that Jesus said. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples at this point, and they're in the last uh, meal that they shared together before Jesus was arrested and um, convicted and then executed. In Matthew 26, starting in verse 26, it says this, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Let's eat his body together. says in verse 27, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the sin, excuse me, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink his blood together. We have a very good tradition here at Grace that whenever we celebrate communion corporately together, we take a special offering and that special offering is called the Fellowship Fund. And this fund is, is money that, that goes right out the doors of the church. It helps people pay rent. It helps keep lights on. It helps fix cars. It puts foods on people's table. And you have been incredibly generous as a church, and I want to thank you for that. If you're able to give to that Fellowship Fund now, um, we, just, we just ask that you would. We ask you to be generous. We, as we know you are, we thank you for that. We also know that last week we mentioned this South Sudanese refugee crisis. Thank you for those who have given to that. When we give to things like this, we are being the hands and the feet of Jesus, not only in our community here, but also all around the world. Jesus uh, tells us, um, in Matthew 26, right after the special meal that his disciples and him shared together, it says that they sung a hymn. And so that's what we're going to do now is we're going to spend some time responding to what we've heard, responding to this great God of ours and worshiping him in song. So let's do that now. What a, what a great time of worship. What a great morning it's been together. Um, Grace, I don't know what kind of life season you're in right now. If you're on a detour or if you're wandering around in the desert, um, listen to these words uh, from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 12, verse two, he says this, "'Surely God is my salvation. "'I will trust and will not be afraid. 
The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Friends, I don't know if you already have put your faith and your hope and trust in the Lord and he is your salvation, then rest in that. Rest in knowing that he is still working and moving and advancing his kingdom in our lives, even amidst all the chaos and craziness, craziness that's going on. And, and maybe for you, you've never done that. Maybe you've never put your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus, but you wanna know more about how to do that. Um, if that's you, or if you have a prayer request of any other kind, go online, gracecc.net, scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, and there's a link there to click on prayer request. Click on that link, submit your prayer request, and somebody will be praying with you. Um, thank you for joining us this morning. We love you. I'm gonna pray God's blessing over you, and then we'll get out of here. Father, thank you for this morning. We love you. Um, again, thank you for your great, amazing word. Thank you, God, that we can trust you. I pray that you would help us to trust you uh, with all of our lives, God, with whatever's going on in all of the chaos. I pray you'd help us to trust you and to follow you well. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, Grace. I will see you soon, I hope. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.